I want to take you back to the year 2009 and specifically to an exact moment in time to the BCS championship bowl game between the Florida Gators and the Oklahoma Sooners. This was a hugely anticipated game. Why? One of the reasons, because Tim Tebow was at the peak of his college football career, and he had an amazing college football career at the University of Florida. Earlier in the season, Tim had an idea of inscribing a scripture reference into the eye black underneath his eyes. Earlier in the season, the reference was Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So it just said, Phil 4, 13. And so people, you know, were wondering what, who's Phil and what's 4, 13 and all this type of stuff, right? And it had garnered some attention as he did that because the Florida games, Florida was always number one back in the Tim Tebow days, right? And so the, those games were among some of the hot, most highly rated games in the country. But of course, they made it into the, well, you had the bowl championship series, right? The BCS. And of course, the Gators and the Sooners made it into the championship game that year. And as the game was approaching, Tebow wondered what he might put in the eye black for the championship game. Should he keep it Phil 4-1-3 or should he change it up? And he just kind of took it to prayer, took it to the Lord. And this is what he said leading up to the game. He said, I was really agonizing and contemplating what verse and God kept bringing up to my heart and my head, John 3, 16, which is the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope. So sure enough, that's what he did. Tim Tebow put John 3.16 into the eye black under his eyes. I think I got a picture of it so you can see exactly. Just take a walk back through memory lane here. And what happened when Tim Tebow wore this in the championship college game that night was amazing. Something amazing happened. After winning the championship game, he found out something amazing happened. During the game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16. Now, Tim com commenting on that, he said, wow, amazing that 94 million people didn't know what John 3.16 was, but amazed and awed at the fact that 94 million people went to the internet, went to Google, What's John 3.16? And what did they read? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're all familiar with this verse. What an amazing verse it is packed with amazing truths. God so loved the world. What is amazing to think about 
with this verse is how much God loved the world. How much did he love the world? He loved the world so much that while the world had largely turned its back on him, he sent his son into the world. You say the, the world had largely turned its back on him? Yeah, even in his own nation. It had gotten so bad in people turning away from God that literally it got down to a small number, as few as 7,000 people. In fact, that's, we discovered that in a conversation that God and, had with Elijah. And he was kind of depressed and said, I give up, just take me out of here, I'm done. Nobody serves you, God, there's nobody left. And God had to correct him and say, nope, there's still 7,000. <laughs> so when you come to this verse... God so loved the world that he gave his only son a world that by and large had rejected him. This is amazing. It shows us the incredible love of God. Now on the night that Jesus did come into the world, the night that he was born, God sent a messenger with the message of the good news, the message of his love. And it was a message of his love, his desire to save, his heart for the world despite any sin and rejection. And this message was sent to a small band of shepherds in a field just outside the town of Bethlehem. So let's look at this passage tonight. Good news and goodwill, heaven sends a message. Let's pick it up, verse 8 of Luke 2. It says this, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We come upon this scene and we come to this field where we have this band of shepherds, the shepherds watching their flocks. It says the, the shepherds were living out in the fields, watching their flocks. And of course, this field is just outside of the town of Bethlehem there. And, and, and if you go there even today, you can go out to uh, where they believe this site actually uh, took place. Uh, in the field just outside. And uh, the field kind of slopes down and there's a valley and then you can see it comes up and you can see uh, Bethlehem there in the distance. And so this was the place. But the shepherd's location was more than just geography. It wasn't just that they were outside the town as shepherds watching their flocks by night. They were, there was a different location that they had based upon their status in society. They weren't just outside the city, they were outside the culture. 
And so on this night, the message was sent to a band of shepherds outside the city, and they were kind of the lowest of the low. They were the outcasts. Shepherds were regarded as social outcasts, and they were among the first to hear that Jesus was born, that the Lord had come into the world. Now, again, the occupation of shepherding was looked down on. You'll remember that some cultures considered shepherds to be an abomination. Can you imagine your job being an abomination? (laughs) You say, yes, my job is an abomination. (laughs) Maybe you're here tonight and you can identify with that. Yeah, my job is Cheryl Malgo. Don't get me started on that, right? Well, it's interesting that shepherds were an abomination and the job of pastoring is actually, the word actually coincides with the idea of shepherding. And uh, so I, we, we can all relate tonight, amen? Uh, and you, you have this job that's an abominable job. But shepherds are people too, amen? <laughs> shepherds are people too. And they're, they're not all bad. They're not bad. Now, some of them, had, there was a bad reputation, these guys, because they were all, they were just out there on their own, doing their thing, watching their flocks. But shepherds, some of them were good. They were, they were creative. Down through the years, shepherds have invented things because I guess they don't, you know, just out there watching their sheep, they had to do something, you know, to pass the time, you know. Um, so shepherds, Here's some of the inventions that we can credit back to shepherds. Shepherds invented stilts. Uh, Some Spanish-speaking shepherds in the Canary Islands invented a whole new language made up of entirely of whistling. That's interesting. Um, And, of course, there's shepherd's pie. I guess that was invented. I don't know if that was a shepherd, but I just, anyway. And perhaps the best gift, an invention of shepherds, and some will agree, some will not. But the game of golf was, in, was invented by shepherds. Yeah, I guess they would use that staff and hit rocks and say, we're going to hit it up to that pole up there. And that's, I guess, how it all came, came to be. One commentator wrote this about shepherds. As a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. More regrettable was their habit of confusing mine with thine as they moved about the country. They were considered unreliable and were not allowed to give testimony in the courts of law. So they were, and of course we're reminded when Pharaoh, when Joseph's, uh, when Jacob had brought his family down to be with Joseph, remember when Joseph in Genesis was elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt, his Remember, there was this dilemma that he was going to have to have to tell Pharaoh that, yeah, my family's a bunch of shepherds, you know. And it's like saying, like, yeah, my family's a bunch of abominable people. And um, so what did, what did Pharaoh do? He gave them the land of Goshen, which is like way out, you know, on the outskirts of, you know, the area. So shepherds were kind of on the, on the outs, so to speak. And, and these shepherds, were probably experiencing some of that same stigma. And they were out there watching their flight, their flocks on this particular night. And suddenly, the text tells us, 
there stood before them an angel. And this angel, the text says, was so bright and glorious that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, you can't really think about this passage without thinking of Linus, right? You can't really think. I mean, I don't know that it... I mean, we're going to be up there with Jesus, you know, talking about, oh, yeah, didn't Linus do a great job of quoting <laughs> Luke 2 and just putting this into our heads, right? No, glory of the Lord shone round about them, right? You can just hear, <laughs> you can just hear Linus's voice, right? But, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in the way that Linus said it um, and really kind of move past what actually happened there. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And, and there was created there a, a very powerful sight, an awe-inspiring experience. Whenever you see angels showing up in the scriptures and, uh, you know, kind of revealing themselves to, to, to people, one of the first things they have to say is, don't be afraid. <laughs> because evidently, it's so awe-inspiring that what you want to do is just tremble. Just tremble. And that's why it's always, it's always crazy to me that people think like, you know, yeah, I'm going to get up to heaven and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give God my two cents. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you would tremble at the sight of an angel, let alone standing in the presence of the Lord. You know, you're not going to be doing, you know, uh, Bill and Ted, you know, before the throne of, you know, the, you know, singing every rose has its thorn. You know, you're going to be going, you know, Hopefully you're underneath the blood of Jesus and, 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 and you can go to the Lord, amen? But uh, so the glory of the Lord shone around them and the angel told them that he brought good tidings. What's that? Good tidings. Well, we, don't, we, we know the word good, but tidings isn't really a word that we go around saying, hey, I got good tidings for you. Um, but it's good news, amen? Good news of great joy, which will be to all people. The angels brought good tidings, good news. It's literally they proclaimed the gospel, the good news to these shepherds tonight on that particular night. And, uh, and, and who, again, who were regarded as the social outcasts and, and just their character and everything was questioned. So it's, it's amazing to me um, because I love how the Lord works, amen? On this particular night, God sent an angel and it was like, you know, can you imagine where, okay, where, where's a group of people? Where can we, okay, we got some lawyers over here, some doctors, you know, some highfalutin people. Of, oh, oh, wait, wait, there's some shepherds out there outside of town just sitting there, you know, just totally outcast, totally untrusted, untrustworthy, got their issues, got their abominable job. We're going to send a messenger down there. We're going to send the angel of the Lord down to the, to the shepherd's field. The shepherds were the first to hear of Jesus' birth on this night. He gives them first crack at the gospel. And, you know, this is, there's other examples of this in terms of how Jesus works. When you go into, when you go into the Old Testament prophets, one of the most famous ones that deals with the whole advent of Christ coming, the Messiah coming into the world, is a, is a chapter in Isaiah where he says, Arise, shine. Right? Arise, shine, the light, the light is coming. And this is the idea of the light of, of God coming into the darkness, the, the, the shadow of the valley of death. Right? 
And so this is what, when God so loved the world, this is what he did. He sent his light. He sent his, he sent his son into the midst of the darkness. And where did Jesus come onto the scene first? In Galilee. Of course, he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth of Galilee. And he began preaching the gospel in and around Galilee. Now, what's significant about that is when the Assyrians, when the Lord allowed the Assyrian armies in the 600 BC, six, I believe 622 BC, allowed the Assyrians to come in and knock out those northern tribes. Remember, the kingdom had divided into the two southern tribes and the 10 northern tribes. And, and the area of Galilee was struck first and struck hard when the Assyrians came in to do that. And it's interesting that that was the place that Jesus first shows up declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you have the gospel being preached to the Galileans and them getting first crack at the message literally from Jesus' mouth. And on the night that he was born outside of Bethlehem, you had the lowly outcast of society, the shepherds, receiving the gospel. Amen? Amen. And I think that is important. There's other examples of this. You've heard me on Mary being the first eyewitness of the resurrection. So uh, you, you have God just... Honestly, it seems like he goes out of his way to get at the person that would feel like they were unreachable, to get at the people that would feel that they were in a spot that God would never come. And, and, and God goes to the greatest lengths to, 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 to declare his message, to proclaim his message in all these particular areas and giving people the opportunity to, to see the gospel up first, firsthand and to hear it and to, and, to, and to respond to it. So what is this good news, this gospel that they were proclaiming? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This will be a sign to you what was the sign? You had a baby wrapped, right, in clothes. But really, where was he put? In a manger, in the feeding trough, right? That was the sign. So not too many people don't know too many people that, hey, great, the baby was born. Throw him over there in the manger, <laughs> you know, put him over there. We don't got any. No, we got a nice bassinet, you know, we've got a nice crib, a nice cradle, you know, we wrap them up, put them one of those little beanie caps on them, you know. I think they finally got rid, I think the hospitals finally got rid of that kind of those ugly purple and pink and green striped things that for every, everybody's babies, you know, are all wrapped up in these. And that I'm seeing different videos, different pictures online of, oh, the hospitals finally got rid of them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Just nod at me if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. For years I've been you know, thinking, man, why do they have these, these clothes? But anyways, Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was put in the manger. Unto you this night is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. This is the gospel. 
This is the gospel proclaimed to these shepherds. God himself was born to be the savior of the world. His name would be Jesus. Jesus is the Greek name and a translation of the Hebrew name Joshua, or as it is in the Aramaic, Yeshua, and it means Yahweh saves. His name, the name that was given to this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger was literally God saves. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Christ, that he was born in the city of David, a savior, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is, this is his name. And so here he's the savior, and this angel was sharing with these shepherds this gospel, these glad tidings, the good news. Now, some would argue that, well, if you want to stir up a, a debate, you can ask this question. What's the, what, who's the greatest guitarist that's ever lived? Or what's the greatest album that's ever been made? Or what's the greatest piece of music that's ever been written? And you can debate that and debate that, but I want to submit that's up there near the top, and you can put some others if you want to include different genres and different things, that's great. But up near the top of the greatest works of music is Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah. In fact, there'll be people all over the country and perhaps all over the world going out to big concert halls over the next couple of weeks to to hear uh, from start to finish the entire work, right? And one of, the, one of the, uh, the songs is taken from a passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And, um, and it says this, I'll throw it up on the screen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Prince of Peace. Now, there is, this was the message given to Isaiah, that a child would be born, a son would be given. The angel is declaring that a Savior was born to them. This same Savior that Isaiah talked about, the same child, the same one that was being born, was prophesied over 800 years earlier that he would come by the prophet Isaiah and that he would be uh, that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, uh, and so then you see where it goes after that, and it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And, and it says, and they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace, goodwill towards men. So after the single angel's announcement and the proclamation of the gospel, then you have, you know, most people think of them there as singing, but I guess it kind of says they were saying it, and, you know, they were maybe singing it and saying it. You know, we like to think of it as a big choir, but it was kind of just the message being reinforced of what was happening. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. So this is where we like to have, 
you know, the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? <laughs> you know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So the angel proclaimed the gospel. The heavenly host shows up as a backup and says, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Peace and goodwill. So this talks to us, not only does God, through Christ, want to save you, wants to save the world. He loved the world. He sent his son into the world. But ultimately, through the Savior, he wants to bring peace, and, and, and he's got goodwill towards you. He's got, he wants to bring peace into your life. He wants to bring peace. Now, there's a lot of people that talk about peace. In fact, everywhere you go, you see people, you know, the peace sign that they came up with somewhere in the, I don't know, I guess the 60s, somebody. I did the research on what, uh, you know, forget who, who it was that invented that sign, the peace symbol, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you see it everywhere and everybody, you know, puts it on, you know, you walk into the stores and they've got it on the clothes and on the backpacks and it, it's everywhere, you know? And, um, and it's just kind of like, you know, then you'll see it with a combination like peace, love, and whatever, like four rivers or whatever. And, um, and so you see this all over the place. But the question really is then what kind of peace are we talking about? Because we, we need peace and we look to certain, uh, you know, we look to certain places to, that, 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 that will provide peace. We look to like the authorities, perhaps the police, they're keeping the peace and the armed forces, the military, the government, right? Trying to keep the peace, make the peace, hold the peace. And, but you know what? That's not the type of peace that God was declaring to the people on that particular night. I want to quote from a first century pagan author. His name is Epictetus. And he expressed this about this peace. I quote, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which men yearn for more than even outward peace. What's he saying? He's saying there's a different type of peace that we ultimately learn, yearn for. Deep down in the heart of every single person, it's the type of peace that is a peace from the, the restlessness of your own heart. It's the, it's the type of peace that the Bible talks about passing understanding. It's the type of peace that there's a prince of. His name is Jesus. He's the one that was born on this particular night. And he is giving peace. He wants to give peace. And he wants to give you that type of peace. There's one thing to be uh, living in a place. And we thank God to be able to live in a place where most of the time free from conflict and whatever. But what we really, the heart of man is looking for that inward peace and there's no man or group or nation that can bring it. There's only one person that can bring that type of peace, and it was declared on this particular night. He's the Prince of Peace, right? And so that's what we need. It's the type of peace that is 
a peace in your heart, a peace in your heart. And, and Jesus is the one that can bring that. But he says, peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill toward men. And we'll wrap it up with this, goodwill. And you say goodwill, so we don't use the, we don't use the word tidings and we don't really use the word goodwill so much. We think of it as the, you know, the thrift store, really. <laughs> In fact, I have a goodwill store, like I can walk to the goodwill, right? In fact, I probably, if I went outside in my front lawn, I might be able to see the goodwill. But, but what was proclaimed on this night was goodwill toward men. Now, I've been thinking about this for a little while, for the last couple of weeks, this idea of goodwill toward men. And I was trying to understand it anew and afresh. Because I think sometimes you can come to these things and you go, oh, yeah, goodwill, I got it, I got it, goodwill. There, this is a goodwill that is so good that that everything that had ever been done in the world up until that moment did not diminish it. Now you think about reading the Bible from Genesis to Malachi and going through all the atrocities just that are recorded, in the, and that's only the Hebrew people and the surrounding nations. Factor in everything that has happened on the face of the earth up until this moment that the angels, the heavenly hosts are declaring peace on earth, good will toward men. Now, when you think of yourself having goodwill towards someone in your life, maybe it's your, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's somebody that you know, maybe it's your neighbor, but then they can begin to do things that kind of, you know, chip away <laughs> at that goodwill, you know? And as they chip away at that goodwill, you can really get to a point where that goodwill kind of, you know, for this particular person, it just runs out. And you say, well, I don't have, you, you no longer have any goodwill for that situation. I had it. I had goodwill, but it's like I got nothing. I got nothing left. God is saying, look, the whole world basically doesn't serve me. There's a remnant of people in this little plot of land in the Middle East that are my people. But even them, are, a lot of those guys are confused about a lot of things and have twisted up the scriptures in every which way that you can. But I've got goodwill for the world. I've got goodwill for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so as we close tonight, I just want us to dwell upon the goodwill that he has for us, for you. And I know you go through times in your life where you're really aware of the great love that God has for you. And sometimes you can feel like, well, Maybe that was a few years ago that God really loved me. But some things have happened. There's been some water that has run under the bridge. 
And I don't know, can God still love me? I've done some things. I've ran off and created strife in my life, in other people's lives. And the message of Christmas is this, that even in the depths of the valley of the shadow of death, the light of God shines in the darkness. The love of God penetrates to the deepest place, even to the field with the lowly shepherds, he comes to give his gospel and his love and his peace and declare his goodwill toward men. And he declares that to each and every one of us tonight. 